KFNX News Talk Radio 1100. 1100 KFNX.com. Welcome back to My Doggy Says. Here once again to help you understand and build a closer relationship with your dog. The host of My Doggy Says, Fred Haney. Welcome back to the My Doggy Says show, where we try to learn as much as we can about our doggy friends. We're trying to improve our dog talk skills and build better relationships uh, with our dogs uh, in order to be dog's best friend. And we're brought to you by the Doggy Appreciation Network. In this segment, we're going to begin our conversation with Stanley Corin, who is the author of How to Speak Dog and a number of other books about uh, dog intelligence and other related subjects. If you'd like to join the conversation, uh, please give a call. In Phoenix, the number to call is 602-277-KFNX. And outside the Phoenix area, the toll-free number is 1-866-536-1100. I'm not going to read Stan's uh, whole biography here because uh, he's done so many things uh, it, it would take a lot of our time, but I do want you to uh, uh, meet him and know a little bit about who he is and what he does. Uh, he's uh, best known to the public for his best-selling books on dogs. He's also a well-respected scientist and professor of psychology at the University of British Columbia. He's in uh, Vancouver. He did his undergraduate work at the University of Pennsylvania and completed his doctorate in psychology at Stanford. In the scientific area, he has published many research-related books, a widely used textbook on sensation and perception, and over 300 research reports in professional journals. Uh, He was born in 1942 in Philadelphia, uh, has an undergraduate degree in psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, and his doctorate in psychology from Stanford, said that. He moved to uh, British Columbia, which is located in the city of Vancouver, and he's currently a professor in the Department of Psychology. Uh, He's also the director of the Human Neuropsychology and Perception Laboratory there. His research has covered a lot of areas of psychology. He's won a lot of awards, and I'm not going to take the time to list them all. Uh, In addition to studying dog behavior and writing books about dogs, he's also an instructor with the Vancouver Dog Obedience Training Club, and he's been on just a long list of uh, radio and television programs. So we're just very honored to uh, have Stanley Korn with us tonight. Stanley, welcome to the My Doggy Says Show. I'm glad to be here. Uh, looking forward to our conversation. I think we uh, we share some interest. Um, you're not the first person that I've interviewed on the show who started out as a psychologist and ended up doing a lot of work with dogs. Um, how did that happen for you? Well, um, I've always been around dogs, and uh, we always had them, and I always trained them and uh, competed with them, mostly in obedience and that sort of thing. Um, but my real interests are in the human-animal bond, and so I'm a bit different from most psychologists in that most in that I'm dual-trained. Uh, most psychologists are trained either for human psychology or for animal psychology, but I took the extra effort to uh, uh, become trained in both, and the reason obviously being that there's a different crit at each end of the leash, Um, and 
and uh, been studying um, uh, the relationship between people and dogs for a long time. And my newest book, The Modern Dog, uh, really uh, looks at um, at how we've integrated dogs into our uh, lives and into our society. Uh, you know, we've been uh, inventing and reinventing dogs uh, for a long time. You know, while God may have created human beings, uh, human beings created dogs. And uh, as our... Uh, culture changes, and even as our technology changes, we, we change the nature of dogs, and new species come into being, and old ones disappear. Uh, you, you say humans created dogs. How, how did we do that? Well, about 14,000, for, for at least 14,000 years, uh, uh, we've been doing seat-of-the-pants behavior genetics. Uh, you know, uh Joe has a, a dog which has uh, some really nice characteristics, and Bill has a female dog uh, uh, with the same characteristics, and so you breed them together to try to preserve those characteristics. And uh, so we... Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, we've been breeding dogs to, uh, to fit our technology, and probably the best example of that uh, has to do with hunting. Uh, early on, the dogs which we had were hounds. And, uh, you know, hounds are independent hunters. They they go out and they find the game and run it down. And basically all the hunter has to do is to is to get there in time uh, to either finish the kill or to, you know, grab some meat before the dogs all eat it. Um, but later on when we developed firearms, of course the first firearms were those uh, muzzle-loading muskets. And... And they take forever to load, uh, you know, maybe about uh, 25, 30 seconds for you to, to load them. And then if you're really lucky, you have a, a clear shot for maybe 25 or 50 yards. And so we developed then the pointer. And the pointer is sort of this slow-moving, uh, virtually silent dog as it, as it uh, moves across the field. And its job was to simply uh, freeze um, in position, staring at where he thought the bird was, and then hold it virtually forever uh, until the hunter got close enough so that he'd have a clear shot. Uh, then the bird was flushed, and, and maybe you got a chance to knock it down. Uh, when we began to get uh, decent cartridge-loading uh, guns, we could work behind setters. Setters move much more quickly. Um, and if you use a pair of setters, I mean, they'll, they'll point very much the way that pointers will, uh, but if you use a pair of setters, you can sight down them uh, and more or less triangulate exactly to where you think the, the bird is. Uh, then later on, we, we began to develop decent uh, shotguns. Stanley, let me interrupt just for a second to sure. tell our listeners, if they just tuned in, that they're listening to the My Doggy Says Show. And I'm your host, Fred Haney, and we're talking with Stanley Corrin, who is the author of How to Speak Dog and other books about dog intelligence and related subjects, and he's telling us right now a little bit how we humans created dogs. Yep, yep to, to fit our technology. Anyway, uh, a little bit later we developed shotguns um, and uh, uh, developed spaniels to hunt behind. They're, they're just uh, totally undisciplined uh, hunters who 
race out and flush anything there, and it's all very exciting, but if you didn't have a decent shotgun, you wouldn't be able to pull anything down. Uh, during the Industrial Revolution, uh, what happened is all the good places to go hunt for uh, for birds, for example, got taken up by farmland and, and was were built on, so the hunters were stuck with really scrap land, so that they then had to change the nature of hunting. So that uh, basically you had a blind and, you know, you waited for the ducks to fly over. And that's when we developed the retriever uh, who just sits there very, very silently and looks at us and pays attention to us until we see a bird get close enough, knock it down and send the dog after it. And then as the birds became scarcer, we needed a way to, to attract them. So the latest invention in dogs is, is something like the Nova Scotia duck tolling retriever. Um, the tolling part in his name is like tolling the bell to bring uh, in the parishioners uh, to the church. And this dog is supposed to run around barking and acting rather crazy and silly uh, uh, near the water line. And the, the ducks see it and fly over to see what's happening. They get within the hunter's range. He knocks them down, and then he turns into a retriever. So, you know, <laughs> the technology of hunting changes. We change the dogs that we used to hunt with. Interesting. Now, I've I've also been told that uh, World War II changed our approach to dog training uh, considerably. Uh, do you well, see some truth in that? Well, World War II uh, didn't so much change our approach to dog training, but it introduced formal dog training. The first training of service dogs uh, was done in Germany, and it was actually in World War One. Uh, where they uh, began to develop uh, dogs uh, to use in the war effort. And um, uh, following World War One, a number of the people who had been, uh, you know, trained uh, under the German uh, training system um, uh, came uh, to North America. And to... Pardon? A couple minutes. We're coming up on a break, but we've got uh, a little less than two minutes to go. Oh, sure. Okay, anyway, they came up to uh, to North America and to the U.K. and brought with them their training techniques. So, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, were trained uh, using those old German techniques and then in the 40s uh, began to introduce them uh, to us, uh, began to write the book. So that's where... Kohler's books came from, and uh, and there were a variety of other people who were uh, introducing those those techniques. Uh, we're coming up on a break, uh, Stanley Corin, but after uh, the break, I'd like to talk a little more about uh, the history of dogs, sort of how they've uh, got from where they were to where they are. And uh, I'm also really looking forward to uh, talking with you about how intelligent dogs are and, and, and how you measure dogs' intelligence and, and study that. It's, uh, I'm not sure it's something I know a whole lot about, but I've always had a feeling that dogs are a little smarter than we give them credit for. Uh, maybe clever is a better word. Uh, I suspect you have your ways of defining smart. But it seems to me that most scientific treatises on this subject basically say dogs aren't very smart because they don't know how to work a Rubik's Cube. So uh, I'd like to get uh, a little deeper into that subject with Stanley Corrin, uh, author of How to Speak Dog. Uh, he'll be with us again after the break. Uh, don't go away. This is the My Doggy Test Show.
Your dog's actions may speak louder than words. Welcome back to My Doggy Says. Here again to help you become a better listener with your best friend, the author of My Doggy Says, Fred Haney. Welcome back to the My Doggy Says show where we try to figure out what makes dogs kick, how to build a stronger bond with our dogs. We're trying to be dog's best friend, and we're doing it here on the Doggy Appreciation Network. Uh, we're talking this evening with Stanley Corin, who's the author of How to Speak Dog, uh, and another book uh, titled The Intelligence of Dogs, which he's going to talk about in a minute, and, and a lot of other books about uh, dog intelligence and dog behavior and other related subjects. If you'd like to uh, join the conversation with Stanley, the number to call in Phoenix is 602-277-KFNX, and outside the Phoenix area is 1-866-536-1100. If you're not always able to tune in to the program live, you can hear these interviews as podcasts on iTunes. Go to iTunes and click on Podcasts and search for My Doggy Says. You can also pull them up as MP3 files and listen to them on the blog at mydoggysays.com. So, Stanley, uh, one of my favorite subjects, or something I'm trying to learn about, uh, is uh, how intelligent dogs are. Uh, why don't you start us out on that subject? How, how do you answer that question when somebody says, well, how smart are dogs? Anyway. Well, I'll, I'll give you the secret of understanding a dog's mind. Uh, the average dog is equivalent to about a human two-year-old, and the super dogs, those are dogs at the top 20%, are equivalent to about a two-and-a-half-year-old. And that works for a lot of stuff. So uh, that means to say the, the average dog can learn about 165 words, signs, signals, that sort of thing. And the super dogs may be around uh, 250, uh, which is pretty good because, you know, linguists tell us that if you know 500 words in a language, you can sort of grope your way through it. So they're halfway there. Um, now, there are some places where a dog outshines that level. So, for example, uh, the brighter dogs uh, can count up to five, and um, that's that's quite remarkable. And, uh, you know, kids can't do that until they're maybe about four or four and a half years of age. And also dogs have social consciousness, which is like that of a teenager. So they're really worried about who's moving up in the pack, who's sleeping with who, and that sort of stuff. So, um, but but it's important to recognize that there are really three kinds of, of dog intelligence. Uh, the first is what we call instinctive intelligence, and that's what the dog was bred to do. And every dog has an instinctive intelligence. So, you know, pointers point, and retrievers uh, uh, retrieve, and herding dogs herd, and that sort of thing. The second is adaptive intelligence, and that's really how smart the individual is, you know, and, and how well they solve problems on their own. Um, in my book, The Intelligence of Dogs, uh, I have a set of tests which you can give to your dog at home uh, to look at the adaptive intelligence. You know, so, you know, uh, overall, uh, that's equivalent of saying, we, we know that humans are smarter than cows, but I'm sure there's some people where you have your doubts. Uh, <laughs> but Individual thing. That's right. But the, the one aspect of intelligence um, uh, which seems to be most important to us is what we call working and obedience intelligence. And that's really what the dog will, will do for us. It's really the equivalent of school learning. Uh, 
And in that, there are actually systematic breed differences. And the way we measured that is I contacted every single dog obedience judge in North America um, and uh, got responses from 209 of them, which is about half of all the dog judges in the U.S. and Canada combined. And they gave me rankings uh, on, the, on the various breeds of dogs in, in terms of their, their working ability. And remember, these are the guys who are actually paid to to rank dogs uh, in terms of their their learning performance, um, you know, on a, on a regular basis. And uh, they were quite consistent. So, uh, you know, in the top uh, dogs, you know, the, the smartest dog in dogdom, according to their rankings, is the Border Collie, and followed by the Poodle. I know that a lot of people would say, the Poodle, that's a frou-frou dog. Uh, but <laughs> no, I, I, uh, my understanding is that Poodles are real smart. Well, the, the poodle didn't ask for that haircut. You got to remember, and, and <laughs> I mean, it was smart enough not to. That's right. And the poodle's actually a retriever. Um, his uh, his name comes from Pudlin, which is the German uh, word for a still body of water. And um, you know, he's 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 a bright dog. There there uh, there are uh, uh, three retrievers in the top ten. Uh, the number three dog in intelligence is the German Shepherd. Number four is the Golden Retriever. Uh, number five is the uh, Doberman Pinscher. Number six is the Little Shetland Sheepdog. And number seven is the Labrador Retriever. So those are your top seven dogs. And um, those, I mean, they're, they're wonderful beasts. Uh, and um, they can learn just about anything you want them to, to learn. Uh but you also have to remember that that also makes them smart enough uh, to learn what they can get away with. And, and you really have to decide, you know, what kind of dog you want on the basis of your lifestyle. Because, you know, suppose that, that, that you got yourself a Doberman picture. Okay, he's number five, right? And suppose you have a lifestyle where you're out of the house eight, ten hours a day. Well, he's going to hang around, and he's going to get very bored, so he's going to entertain himself by destroying your sofa and wiping out your Ming vase collection. On the other hand, suppose that you got yourself a bulldog. You know, they're very sweet dogs, but you know, the bulldog is third from the bottom. So it's going to take him eight hours to figure out you're gone. And then when you come home, your furniture is intact, your pottery is still on the shelves, and here's this very sweet dog who comes up to you and says, Hi there, I like, I like you. You know, so, um, you know, you have to pick the dog to fit your lifestyle. There are uh, breeders, uh, actually Callie's breeder, my, my present golden retriever, uh, mm -hmm. uh, doesn't uh, just give people a pick of the litter. She uh, has the dogs temperamented, and I think she also temperaments the, <laughs> the buyers uh, and tries to uh, do some personality matching. If you just tuned in, you're listening to the My Doggy Says show. I'm your host, Fred Haney, author of the four-time award-winning book, My Doggy Says, Messages from Jamie. And we're talking with Stanley Corrin, uh, author of How to Speak Dog and other books, uh, and another book titled The Intelligence of Dogs, and, and still other books about dog intelligence and related subjects. Stanley, I'm going uh, to ask a question, and I'm not sure I know quite how to ask it. I'm going I'm to frame it in the context of uh, some of the old uh, computer science work that I did way back where we were trying to build uh, artificial intelligence models and make computers do some of the things that uh, mm -hmm. uh, people do. 
uh, one of my uh, thesis professors was a guy named Alan Newell, who created some of the first chess playing programs. Yeah, Newell and Simon. Very aware. Those guys were both on my uh, thesis committee at Carnegie Mellon <laughs> University, uh, uh, along with a guy named Gordon Bell. If uh, yeah. some of those names mean something to yep, you, but they do. Just to make it kind of black and white, I was I'm very aware that um, our brains have uh, some processing capability, and they also have a memory capability. And it, it seems to me that while dogs may not have uh, real high-powered processors, uh, they do seem to have a pretty amazing memory sometimes and ability to connect a lot of dots. And one of my examples is uh, Jamie, my uh, previous golden retriever, uh, just loved to swim in Lake Arrowhead. And when I took my little green backpack out of the closet at our house, which is like a 20-minute walk away from the lake, uh, she'd get all excited. And if we wanted to walk to the lake, she could just take me all the way down there. She could go right to our particular boat dock, uh, take me right out on the dock, go right to the particular dock box that had her Frisbee in it because she wanted to retrieve her Frisbee. And that seemed, I don't know if you call that smart or not, but it was pretty amazing to me. Yeah, dogs have, have a remarkably good memory, especially for spaces and locations, but also for people. Uh, you know, that's been recognized for a long time. If you, if you, if you go way back to, and you look at the uh, Greek um, uh, Odyssey, uh, Homer wrote that the, the only person who recognized Ulysses when he came home was his dog Argus. And Ulysses came in disguise. And he had been away for nearly ten years, but you know Argus, who had been his dog, was the was the first one who recognized him. And we have lots of examples of that sort of thing. I was told a wonderful story about somebody who went off in World War Two, and the, the 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 moment that he returned, uh, and he was away for for close to five years, uh, his dog Flannel did a little dance uh, when he walked in the door, and she only did that for him. Um, and his mother, who had kept the dog uh, when he was away, said she's she hasn't done it since she left. <laughs> so, uh, so their memory is 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 pretty good, uh, but it has to be something which is which is important to them. So they they tend not to remember the the, the small stuff, <laughs> like where you put their leash. <laughs> so, yeah, right. <laughs> well, and and. For uh, Jamie, swimming in the lake and retrieving her little uh, cloth frisbee was probably her favorite thing to do. It was yeah, a, and, and, and really special. Um, we're coming up on a break. Uh, the My Doggy Says show. We're talking with Stanley Corin, author of How to Speak Dog. We'll be back with Stanley right after the break. Don't go away. Body language, facial expressions, they're not just for humans anymore. Author Fred Haney says his dog Jamie talks to him. And now to continue the canine conversation, author of My Doggy Says, Fred Haney. Welcome back to the My Doggy Says show. I'm Fred Haney, your host and author of the four-time award-winning book, My Doggy Says, Messages from Jamie, How a Dog Named Jamie Talks to Her People. 
and we're having a conversation with Stanley Corin, uh, author of uh, How to Speak Dog, and uh, another book called The Intelligence of Dogs. And Stanley's done a lot of research on uh, the intelligence and the behavior of dogs, as well as people. If you'd like to join the conversation, the number to call in Phoenix is 602-277-KFNX. And outside the Phoenix area, the toll-free number is 1-866-536-1100. Stanley, if if you're a dog, uh, how do you look at life? Well, actually, it's very different than the way that people do. I mean, people uh, are visual animals, so... Uh, it's our eyes and our visual sense, which has more inputs into our brain than anything else. And we think in visual terms. You know, if, if, if we want to tell people we understand something, we say, I see. I mean, you know, it, 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 it's, it's the nature for us. And so, you know, you look at a dog's eye and you tend to think a dog works like we do. Well, they don't. I mean, uh, first of all, uh, they don't have uh, as much color vision as we as we do. Um, a lot of people think the dogs see in shades of gray, but that's not true. They actually see the world in shades of, of uh, yellow, gray, and blue. And it's rather interesting because uh, the uh, most popular color right now for dog toys is that uh, is red or that safety orange, which you see on traffic cones. Is that a color that they have a hard time seeing? It, it's not that they have a hard time seeing it. It's just that it's absolutely the same color as the color of grass them except a little uh, bit darker. But so, it's like me trying to see a red ball marker on a putting green. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 that, it's, it's, it's that way if, you, if you've got color weakness. Uh, and uh, dogs are very, very good at, at seeing motion, much better than we are. In fact, for them, if they look at a television, the, te- the television doesn't look all that real because it flickers for them. Now, some dogs will put up with that. Terriers, for example, will put up with that. Uh, because they're much more attentive to what's happening through the flicker. I've seen Callie, uh, my golden retriever, follow a ball across the TV screen once in a while. Yeah, if if the TV is at the right level and if the the point of view is one which is similar to what a dog uh, will um, normally see, then in fact they will follow it. I actually have a set of DVDs out which are designed for dogs to look at. and it's designed to sort of handle dogs who have separation anxiety and that's that kind of thing. But one of the neat things is, you know, for dogs, their major sense is their nose. So in your nose, you've got about 5 million olfactory receptors. Now, the little beagle who's sleeping next to me over here, um, he has in his nose 225 million. Do you got the difference? 5 million versus 225 million. Wow. Uh, and so 20, 20 sometimes. Yeah, it, I mean, it's... It, 40 it, it, sometimes. Yeah, 40 sometimes. And and it's, it's, it's not only the case that in the nose he's got this, but also the brain. His brain actually has 40 times more tissue designed for analyzing those smells than we do. They even have a special little organ, which we call Jacobson or, organs, um, and... Dogs have it, and we don't, and it's specially tuned for biological sense, and that's the reason why he's always embarrassing you by running up and snuffling his nose under, you know, Aunt, <laughs> Aunt Martha's skirts or something like that. Um, so, you know, that's one of the things which dogs uh, have, and and it's so good. You know, 
about 10, 15 years ago, we got a few anecdotal reports about dogs which were able to detect cancer. Uh, well, some 15 years or so has passed, and now we know the techniques for teaching a dog how to detect certain types of cancer. And we can teach a dog to do this in three to six weeks, and they can do it with uh, something in the vicinity of 85 to 90% accuracy. And that's quite remarkable. Uh, they can detect melanomas, uh, which, are, which are really nasty skin cancers, uh, well before anything else can detect them. But they can also detect bladder and prostate cancer by sniffing at urine. So, you know, some of these, oh, there's a wonderful uh, project which is going on up over here in, in British Columbia. Um, dairy cows have a very short uh, ovulation period. And if you want to mate them, uh, you have to, uh, uh, you know, catch them in like a three-day window. Uh, and now dogs are being used to sort of march up and down the rows of dairy cows when they're being milked and mark the ones which are ovulating. Um, and they have now found that dogs can do the same thing for, for women. So, I mean, you know, it can have some interesting social yeah, those, applications. Uh, those those <laughs> sniffers are, are pretty special. That's if right. you just tuned in, you're listening to the My Doggy Says Show. I'm your host, Fred Haney author of the four-time award-winning book, My Doggy Says, Messages from Jamie. And we're talking with Stanley Corin, author of How to Speak Dog, and also The Intelligence of Dogs, and other uh, books on related subjects. Stanley, uh, tell our listeners how they can uh, find out more about your books and how, how they can uh, uh, buy them. Well, the books are available, at, as they say, in better bookstores everywhere, uh, or on all the normal uh, web-based uh, booksellers, and uh, they could look at uh, uh, a, a listing of some of them uh, on my website, which is www.stanleycorin.com. Uh, the uh, uh, the books run a broad gamut. Uh, uh, recently, I had a kids' book, which is called uh, "Why Do Dogs Have Wet Noses." And that's just been named by the Animal Behavior Society as the best children's book of the year. So, um, you know, it's for big folks and small folks. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you uh, heard my little story at the uh, beginning of the show about how Callie uh, sniffed out my daughter's hat in, in the uh, dark after uh, driving home uh, at our house up at Lake Arrowhead over the Thanksgiving weekend. I took Callie out for her uh, late-night walk. And she, I, I just kind of let her drag me over to uh, my wife's car, and she sniffed her way from one bumper, kind of from one side, from back to front, and then across the front, and then most of the way back down the other side. Sniff, 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 uh, like she was on the trail or something. And then she leaned over and picked something up, and it was my daughter's little black cap that had uh, fallen out of the car when she got out. And, and it just kind of blew me away that she... Uh, was able to do that kind of from a distance. I mean, you know, it, it was uh, two-thirds of a car away from her, sort of under the car and uh, uh, over by the curb, and yet uh, uh, she she was able to do that. It was sort of the best first-hand example I've had of, of how uh, magnificent a dog's uh, nose can be. Yeah, the, the, uh, a lot of dogs 
are capable of what we call air scenting. And air scenting means they pick up the scent of things uh, without having to push their nose to the ground. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, when, why we have bloodhounds who bay when, they, uh, uh, when they're out tracking. Um, you know, if you walk into a house or something and there's some food cooking, you know, you smell it at first, but then very quickly your nose becomes uh, adapted and you don't smell it anymore. So uh, what happens is you run packs of bloodhounds together, and then when the scent becomes adapted in one of the bloodhounds, he raises his nose to sort of clear it, and so he breathes the clear air up there. Uh, but the dogs who are on track are baying, and so he knows which ones to run with. And when they get uh, adapted, uh, then um, they lift their heads, and you know the other guys push them down and sound off if they're on the trail. And by the way, the bloodhound is the all-time champion in terms of... Uh, of noses, he has 300 million uh, olfactory receptors in that great big nose of his. <laughs> wow. Uh, Stanley, uh, shift gears for a minute. A lot has been written about uh, the relationship between our domesticated dogs and wolves. Uh, uh, how, do, how do you think about that? What's the relationship? Well, dogs are not wolves. Okay, we've, we've, we've bred dogs, as I, as I said earlier, about 14,000 years, and they're no longer the same species. Um, uh, the best example is if you point to something, your dog recognizes that you're indicating a direction, and he'll look in the direction you're pointing. If you point to something, uh, a wolf will look at your hand. Even if that wolf has been reared with human beings uh, since he was a puppy, and dog puppies uh, will uh, follow your hand, will in fact uh, look in the direction you're pointing from about uh, uh, six or seven weeks of age. So we've actually bred dogs who have, our, who have communication ability uh, or better communicators uh, with humans, and they're not wolves anymore. They're quite different. They, they're no longer afraid of strangers. Uh, they're no longer skiddy. And also, they're way, way less aggressive. Interesting. Um, I, I've read some, and I'm sure you, you have too, about uh, calming signals. Is there something to that? Are, are there uh, some uh, behaviors that our dogs have in common with, with wolves? Well, it's, it's, there, there are some things which they have in common with wolves. Uh, Turid Rugas uh, yes. studied... Uh, Her book uh, on calming signals. Yeah, some of the calming signals. Uh, but, you know, mostly those are things which are universals. I mean, you know, a direct stare is a challenge. It's a threat. Well, the same thing goes with human beings. I mean, you know, there was just a recent news article in which, you know, there was a, a big riot uh, in a, on an uh, English subway. Stanley, we're coming up at the the end of the program. I, I, I better stop you there. I'm sorry okay. we can't finish the thought. Uh, it's just been delightful talking to you. I knew it would be. Uh, loved hearing your ideas about dog intelligence and uh, dog behavior. Um, love to have you on the program again if it works sometime. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for having me. You You're absolutely welcome. Uh, Tune in next week, uh, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock p.m. Mountain Time to the My Doggy Says Show. In the meantime, pay attention to what your dog is saying to you. Uh, do something about it. And remember Jamie's first rule for a good life. Uh, don't bark if a wolf 